All right, last time we left, uh, we left Noah and his family and the animals. They were in this big ship, this big boat. But just imagine what Noah was feeling. Here he is, he's drifting out in this, this vast, endless sea, and he's been doing this now for about a year. <laughs> he had been a man of faith. Hebrews 11 calls him a man of faith. Genesis chapter 6 says that he was blameless among the people of his time. But remember, Noah is not God. He is a human being, just like you and me. And, and the sea can be a very lonely place. Imagine drifting in a large ship. You're doing this night after night, day after day, month after month, and you're doing this for an entire year. By the way, nothing in sight. Noah does not know the future. During those months, those months Noah must have wondered whether God had forgotten him. There would be spiritual considerations, too. Remember, Noah is a spiritual being. We are made in the image of God, Genesis said. And there's some things to consider. One commentator by the name of Robert Candlish, who is a 19th century expositor of the book of Genesis, he said this, quote, Far down in the unfathomable depths below lies a dead and buried world. Noah, shut up in his narrow prison, seems to be abandoned to his fate. He cannot help himself, and in this universal visitation of sin, this terrible reckoning with sinners, why should he obtain mercy? What is he that when all else are taken, he should be left? May he not be righteously suffered to perish after all? Is he not a sinner like the rest? Does he not feel himself to be the chief of sinners? End quote. Well, that's an interesting perspective. And Noah's spirituality would have opened up these type of feelings as a man of faith. And when he thought like this, would he not feel abandoned by his heavenly Father? Which leads to the question, how about you, my friend? How about you? Can you relate to Noah? Do you feel abandoned? Have you felt abandoned? Does God seem to have forgotten you? If that is the case, I have good news for you, because the 8th chapter of Genesis is helpful, particularly for someone who feels abandoned. The theme of this chapter really has to do that God has not forgotten us. Because the very first words of chapter 8 reminds us that God remembers. God remembers. So let's read God's words, not mine. These are the words of the living God from Genesis chapter 8. Look at verse 1. Don't you love the very first word of Genesis 1, verse 8? It shows this contrast. Here's somebody who's probably feeling abandoned. He's been out at sea for over a year now. and God, Apparently God hasn't spoken, but now we have but. We have this contrast. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. 
The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated, and in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made, and he sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up for the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters have subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him any more. In the six hundred and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth. Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons, and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply in the earth. So Noah went out, and his sons, and his wife, and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. That ends chapter 8. I propose to you today, here's my proposition for you to think about from this text. That God wants you to know that He remembers you. Therefore, we need to remember Him. And that's the first truth we're going to look at here today. We see in verse 1 that God remembers. God remembers. What does that mean, though? Uh, It's important that we see this from Noah's point of view. Not God's point of view, because... If God remembers something, you might get the idea that God has forgotten something, right? 
What, what do you say when you lose your keys and you find, or, and you remember where you put your keys? Oh, yeah, now I remember where I put my keys, right? It's because you forgot something. God doesn't forget anything, never forgets anything. He's not even capable of forgetting something. So this is obviously coming from Noah's human point of view. And although Noah felt himself to be abandoned by God and was abandoned as far as any direct intervention of God, uh, I mean, a word from him during the flood, right? He hadn't, as far as Noah had received that. But those days were overcome. And what, we, what do we see here? God remembers. The idea here is God's moving toward his creation. He's, he's acting on his covenant promises now. He's acting. That's the idea when the Bible says in verse 1 that God remembered Noah. And we see God spoke again as well. And Noah's depression must have fled away. And that is the point at which this story communicates hope. And so if you think yourself to be abandoned by God, my friends, there is hope. And the hope, by the way, is not in abstract reasoning to the effect that God is somehow aware of all things and and, uh, therefore aware of you. That is certainly true. God does know all things. But that's not always helpful for us. The hope is in knowing that Although God has not acted in your life for what may seem like a very long time to you, nevertheless, you can be sure He will act again. He will act again. So in the meantime, my friend, your job is to be like Noah, to go on in faithful obedience to what He has already shown for you. By the way, you keep doing that no matter how long it may seem. So we see in verse 1, God remembered. But what does that look like for Noah in particular? Well, that's what well the majority of the chapter shows us what that look, looks like. So let's see how God remembered Noah. There's three ways, very quickly, we'll look at here. Three ways God remembered Noah. How did God act toward Noah in particular? And what can we learn from that? Number one, we see God began to remove the water. This This sign of worldwide judgment in verses 1 through 4. God's removing the waters. He brings the wind. We see at the end of verse 1, uh, he stopped the heavens from raining. He stopped all the water from coming up under the earth. We need to remember that when God remembers, when God acts, He often does it with a, a new burst of power. This is precious truth. See, during darkness, you may have felt quite dead. But suddenly, the life of God is is there, and and you feel new hope, a renewed rejuvenation, and suddenly you you can begin to move forward, just as Noah does here. We have to trust God, just as Noah did during the bad times. Not just during the good times, during the bad times as well. I like, there's a verse, uh, a couple verses, in fact, uh, our family has memorized. If you don't know these... I encourage you to have a look at them from Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. Here's what it says. This is bad times for Israel, because look what it says. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, 
you notice that's all bad news. That's bad times. Notice the proper response in bad times. Yet, I will rejoice in Yahweh. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. That's grace. That's not human, normal human response. But that's what you do during hard, difficult days. We trust in God. Our faith enables us to do so. Number two, how did God remember Noah? Well, the second way that God remembers Noah here was by giving him a sign through the the sending out as well as the returning of a dove. Of course, we already read the raven. The raven didn't come back. Noah wanted to see if the ground had become dry enough for the animals and the people to disembark. So what does he do? He sends out some birds as uh, as a test. The raven was dispatched, but it kept flying, never returned. Next, Noah sends out a dove, and, and we just read the first time the, the, the dove flew out and returned. But notice the second time it comes back with something in its mouth. That's very interesting that God should say it comes back with an olive branch in its mouth. Isn't that interesting? And when Noah saw this, then he knew immediately that the, at least some of the waters had receded. The earth was renewing itself and that the judgment was passed. By the way, that's an interesting sign, is it not? An olive branch. The sign of the dove carrying an olive branch was was such a moving thing that now we actually use this as a symbol. Even today, sometimes people hand olive branches as symbols of peace, rest. By the way, God does not always spare us from the distress. Because He has a purpose, by the way, in these such things, by the way. Why does God do what He does? It's always for His glory and our good. Always. We may not always see it, but it is both for ourselves and others. But He he has a way of reassuring us that He has not forgotten us. God remembers. He acts. He remembers our distress. He is still working all things for our good to those who love Him. Romans 8.28 is true. But there's a third way God remembered Noah, and it is by his words. By his words. Just take note of verse 16. Because here's God's words. Verse 15 says, God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Wow. Understand the significance here. God is speaking to Noah again. And as I read the account, I I sense that God hasn't spoken to Noah for a very long time. At least the text doesn't record any words coming from God's mouth to Noah for a very, very long time. The last time we see it in the text is way back in chapter 7, verse 1, when God said, go into the ark. (laughs) Noah was in the ark uh, apparently for a whole year and ten days. So for all that time, he's apparently received no word from God. That's a long time to not hear from God. 
to be in the midst of his judgment, not knowing what's going to happen in the future. Maybe by this time he's sensing some loneliness. But at last, at last, right here, verse 16, God spoke to Noah. You may be going through a period in your own life in which God seems to be silent. Sometimes we pray, and it seems like it seems like the heavens are just made out of iron, and our prayers are bouncing off and not even reaching God. You ever felt like that? Maybe you wonder if God has heard you. What should you do in your circumstances? What should you do? Should you do as Noah did? Go on as you, you've been going and you wait for God to speak to you again? Notice here in Noah's case that when God finally did speak, Noah obeyed by doing exactly what God told him to do. He obeyed. Did you see verse 18? Because it says, so Noah went out. He went out. He obeyed. He did exactly what God told him to do. He obeyed, and then because he had been obeying previously before that, you'll also notice that he obeyed God best. And you will obey God best if you have been practicing obedience during the so-called dark hours of your life. If you remain faithful to Him, you keep obeying, then you can glorify God with your life. But there's a second truth we need to learn from this text. See, verse 1 tells us God remembered Noah. That shouldn't surprise us. But what may surprise you is that we need to remember God. We need to remember God, and that's exactly what Noah does here. in Verse 20 through 22. Because notice in verse 20, Noah goes, and no, what's the first thing he does? He comes off the ark and he builds an altar and he sacrifices animals to God. So Noah remembered. He, he remembered God and he showed it by doing this. He sacrificed some of the clean animals, the clean birds. Why is he doing this? This was a sin offering. He's coming to God as a sinner, in the way that God had appointed them to do. And so why is this surprising to some people? Well, it's surprising because it is not in our nature to remember God or God's goodness. That is not in our nature. If you remember God and His goodness, it is His grace in your life that you even remember Him. It is in our nature to forget Him. But Noah's not like this. Instead of just, what would you, put yourself in his sandals for a moment, okay? What would you do if you've been stuck on a boat for a whole year? And you survived. You're the only ones in the whole world who survived this judgment. What would you do? Some of you might be tempted to, woohoo, run off the ark and go have some fun. Wow, what's, what's it like around here now? Go play with the animals, do whatever, right? And forget about God, right? That's, that's what a lot of people do. That's not what Noah does. He doesn't just go kick up his heels and have a great old time and, and be happy and free. But no, he goes and he builds an altar, offers sacrifices, gathers his family around, and thanks God 
the God who delivered them from the great flood. So let me challenge you, my friend. Remember God. Did you know Ecclesiastes chapter 12 says, Remember your Creator. In fact, it goes on to say, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Youth, I don't know, maybe they're more tempted to forget God. (laughs) But we have a tendency to forget God, thinking that obedience to God and worship of God can be put off, or at least put off for another day, right? My friends, that is great folly. That is foolishness. Because the Bible says, remember God now. Another verse that comes to my mind, if you do a cross-reference on remembering God, I think of Jonah. Here's Jonah. He's, he's run away from God. He's trying to forget God, right? So he's going the opposite direction that God told him to go. And so God brings a... Uh, so-called natural disaster to his life. He's thrown in the water and a great fish swallows him. And the Bible says in Jonah chapter 2, here's Jonah speaking, he says, When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? He's in the belly of the great fish, and he says, I remembered you, Lord, when my life was ebbing away. For all of us, did you know your life is ebbing away? Your life is is going away from you? The longer you live, the closer you get to eternity? Yep. For most of us in this room, probably most of us, most of our life is gone. Now's the time to remember, to hang on, to, to worship God all the way to the end. So it's from your youth to your old age, in sickness or in health, whether you're at home or you're away from home, it doesn't matter. Remember God. The God who remembers will be your joy and your comfort, both now and, by the way, in the next life to come as well. So the greatest wonder of Genesis chapter 8 here is not that God remembered Noah, is not that God acted toward Noah, but that Noah remembered God. That is God's grace. See, it's not in our nature to remember, least of all things that are spiritual, but Noah did remember here. And so we're, we're told that as soon as he left the ark, Noah built an altar to God. By the way, that offering was both a thank offering for the deliverance that God had brought to Noah and his family, but it was also a sin offering. Noah is c- confessing his sin here. He needed atonement. He needed to be at one with God. If life was to begin anew, it was to begin with a proper and a thankful approach to God, at least so far as Noah had anything to do with it. Right? God desires to be at one with us. So Noah's actions here on leaving the ark did not mean that he approached the new life w- without worry. See, if the ark, in the ark, he would have wondered. Think about this. He would have wondered if God had abandoned him. Now he's, he's exited the ark. He would have been struck with the terror of God's judgment. He would have seen what God's judgment had done to the land and everything else. 
And he wanted, maybe he wondered if a, a great destruction might be poured forth again. Could he die? After all, Noah was a sinner. So were Noah's children. And we even see in the text here that the same tendencies to evil that led to the wickedness of the world were in Noah and his sons and their wives. Would it not inevitably happen that they would sin? And maybe God's judgment would come upon them, just as it did for the world? I mean, look at, look at the world. A world beginning to renew itself here. But what is it doing? It, even now, it's showing, showing every indication of the horrible judgment that had ended. Noah walks out and he sees bare hills. He sees uprooted trees. He sees vast bodies of receding water. So what was to prevent all that water from rising up again? What was to prevent him and his family from justly perishing because of their own sin? It is against that particular backdrop that we come to the end of Genesis 8 and God's covenant with Noah is given. This is good news. This is hope. See, God knew Noah and reassured him that in spite of his sin, they both knew something. There's something that lies deep within our hearts. God wanted to reassure Noah that the creatures of the earth would not be destroyed again. So what does God do in verse 21? God, God lays forth three nevers in the last couple verses of the chapter. Three times he says never. Never again will I curse the ground because of man. And never again will I destroy all living creatures. That's good news. Because without that, there is no hope. And so there's a third truth. Something we need to know about God, my friends, is that God makes covenants. God makes covenants. There's, there's several covenants in Scripture. I encourage you to study them all. They're all important. We see three features in the Noahic covenant here. Number one, that the covenant is established by God. He's the one who establishes the covenant. Everything said here is by God, and it's according to His own pleasure. See, Noah is, is, is nowhere here recorded as saying anything about this covenant. It's all of God. You won't see Noah's words here. You only see God's words. Because look at verse 21. See, the Lord smells the pleasing aroma from the sacrifices, and the Lord says in His own heart, I will never again curse the ground. So God's speaking. So this feature of the narrative is reflecting for us a very high view of God, and it immediately sets Genesis off different from other ancient writings. In fact, it's a very powerful evidence that this book in our Bibles is exactly what it claims to be. It's a supernatural revelation of God to men. It's not a record of just Moses' thoughts. It's not a record of Noah's thoughts. It's not a record of human beings' thoughts. These are God's thoughts. And so the idea of God establishing the terms with us which we are therefore just merely to receive with gratitude is foreign to our just our, our natural way of thinking. 
indeed, it's entirely absent from other religions, the other ancient religions anyway. See, in the religions of the pagan world, the relationship of a person to God is conceived as a bargain. You bargain with the gods in the ancient world. See, the person has to do something for God as a result of which then God is is somehow placed in your debt. And, and this this false God is now somehow supposed to do something for the person because he or she is in your debt. It might be a sacrifice. In wartime, great sacrifices were made to ensure that you could go out and get victory in battle. It may be some other form of devotion to your God. But whatever the case... <clears throat> the man and God would meet on equal terms. And, and then they agreed to do things of mutual benefit to each other. That, that's how it worked in ancient days. The early chapters of Genesis here present an entirely different concept. It presented an entirely different God. Entirely different. What do we see here? Man's not bargaining with God. Man has nothing to bargain with anyway. They come empty-handed. God establishes the covenant here according to His own good pleasure. God's doing the work, not man. Notice the second feature of, particularly the Noahic covenant here, is that the covenant is eternal. It's eternal. And it's eternal in a sense... So long as the conditions endure, the covenant is going to be something that's permanent. In this covenant, God used the word never three times in those last few verses. And why is he doing this? He's emphasizing the permanence of the covenant. It is permanent in that sense. So it's good, in this case, to have God say never. Because the use of the word by human beings is... You think about it. It's it's ridiculous. It's a ludicrous thing sometimes when human beings use the word never. But it's a good thing when God says never. Have you done something like this before? Say something foolish? This is a foolish statement. Well, I've learned my lesson, so I will never do that again. I won't ask for a raise of hands, because we've probably all said something that foolish. Right? I will never do that again. And what do we do the very, probably the next day or next week? We, we go and do it again. That's ludicrous. Haven't you ever looked at someone else's sin and said, I will never do what that foolish guy just did? And then you go and do it. <laughs> Isn't that the way of human beings? We use the word never and we do it. But God uses the word never, and He means it, and He follows through on it. See, our problem is we promise beyond what we can actually guarantee. And only God is able to say never and stick by what He said and do it without fail. Praise God. That is good news. And the third feature of the Noahic covenant here is that the covenant is gracious. It's gracious God establishes covenant with Noah and, by the way, into his descendants. Look at verse 21, because it says, Even though 
every inclination of mankind's heart is evil from childhood. That's not good news. But notice this part of God's promise must have been particularly comforting to Noah. (laughs) Knowing that he was a sinner, his family are sinners, and that sin could erupt at any moment in, in, in a terrible fashion. But nevertheless, in spite of their sin, God would save him and would never again destroy humanity, at least not in this fashion. So this passage here should provide us hope. Provides a pattern for what sinful human beings must do to find God's favor. That's one of the definitions of God's grace. God's unmerited favor. See, in a sense, you and I can do nothing because God's done everything. You don't need to do anything anyway. But we can at least come to God in a way that God Himself has appointed. And when you do that, my friends, you think you can be assured as we come, you're going to receive something from God. And you're going to, if you remain faithful within the covenant of salvation, you receive God's mercy and grace. As sinners, we appear before God as Noah did. Imagine coming out of that ark. Hard to believe, but. Noah was a recipient of God's grace. Mankind is a recipient of God's common grace. The Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And so if God hadn't been favorable to us, we would have perished long before now. See, the Bible says we're all sinners. We've broken God's laws, and therefore we stand condemned before this holy God. And so we merit God's judgment just as others do, just as the world did at that time. And so left to ourselves, the sin within will undoubtedly bring us to destruction. We will perish. So what are we to do, my friends? What are we to do? What are we to do? Well, we know not what to do sometimes. But God has set a way before us. See, the good news is God sent His only Son and lived the perfect life in your place, died as the perfect sacrifice in your place, and rose again and is at the right hand of God. He is God in heaven now ministering on our behalf. He is the way of sacrifice. And this is the way that Noah came to God. It's the way you and I must come today, by the way. Nothing has changed here. We come by way of sacrifice. But here's the difference, my friends. You don't have to kill animals. Because the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, already came and was the sacrifice. That's the difference. And so this is the way we come to God. And it's the way you and I must come today. And We have a sacrifice, praise God. So Noah looked forward to the great sacrifice. Today we look back some 2,000 years to the great sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice who died in our place. So my friends, what happens as we come to God through faith in perfect and in this finished work of Jesus Christ? We find that God is pleased. Did you notice in verse 21? 
The sacrifices were a sweet-smelling thing to God's nose. And we hear Him promise that we are now His and we shall never perish. Not in this life, not in eternity. Eternal life with Jesus Christ is now possible. And so, my friends, let me ask you, how's your relationship with, with Jesus Christ? Are you able to say that your relationship with Christ will never cease? Oh, I don't ever want any one of you to ever hear those words, depart. Remember what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 and 6 and 7? Where he says, depart from me because I never knew you. May it never be said of you that Jesus doesn't know you. My friends, the only way that comes is by faith in the one who's done everything for you. And if you're a believer today, and you, you, you've already put your faith in Christ alone to deal with your sin and to have eternal life with Him forever, then, my friends, don't ever let go. Remember, God remembers you. But do you remember Him? Are you acting toward Him? Are you living for Him, for His honor and His glory? May God enable us to do such. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for the glorious truth that You act toward Your creation, toward particularly the believers here who have acted toward You by faith. Give us this faith. Give us Your grace so we can act and remember You. We are not worthy of Your grace. We are not worthy of Your love. We deserve to be wiped out just as the rest of the world did. Praise God for Your love and Your grace toward undeserving people like Noah. We are undeserving. It would have been fair for Noah and his family to have died as well. And so, may we understand this truth and recognize that we can't come we can't come in our own strength. We can't come in our way. We must come your way in Christ, the perfect sacrifice. Praise God. Would you give us faith and give us your grace? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.